0: and, gratefully, he still continues to work today. Please welcome to the stage, Mr. Vernon Wells. Yes, you can have them all even. As long as we can hear you. You want to write Netherlands. You can stack them up. I can stack them up so that it may be closer to your height, which can be quite
1: intimidating. If you put them all three together, it's like a press conference, you know, where they have got all the mics from the different outlets. No. Yeah, that's right. My ego is that big. <laughs> <laughs> I need at least five microphones. Hi. Hello. Oh, you're all in the VIP scene, huh?
0: Right, if they're here to see you, they've got to be VIPs. Oh, is that what it is? Absolutely. What's that, very important? Oh, I was thinking the D was for Vernon. I couldn't figure out the IP yet. <laughs> Vernon, an important person? Oh, Vernon, you seem like such a sweet and wonderful kind soul, it's shocking to see some of the roles that you've played certainly uh, earlier in your career, entirely throughout the 1980s, it seems. Uh, your breakout role, as I mentioned, was uh, in The Broken Warrior, where you were, I don't know, it was probably not too far to say, you were homicidal and uh, psychopathic. How did uh, Mr. George Miller, who directed the film, have any sense that this otherwise, I would imagine, you know, kind-hearted uh, gentleman could play such a maniac? Yeah, you. Um, George is a
1: (laughs) different human being from us, I think, at times. Um, George's girlfriend saw me in a stage play. Um, uh, The fact of the matter is, I never wanted to be an actor. It was bursting my mind. I loved being behind the camera, and I was busy directing commercials. And she saw me in a stage play that I got talked into doing. And I didn't really want to do it, but I did it because it was one of those dumb things. And she saw me and um suggested that George come and see me at Red Warrior, which he never actually did. All he did was fly down to Melbourne from Sydney and we had a cup of coffee and we chatted for about 20 minutes and we left. And I had no idea who he was. He paid for the coffee so. was um And that was basically it as far as I was concerned with the whole thing and then about a month after that my manager rang me and said you have to fly to Sydney to do a wardrobe fitting for the road Warrior. And um, I said, What's a road Warrior? And he said, It's the movie George Miller's doing. Who's George Miller? He's the guy you had coffee with a month ago. I the oh and she said, So I assume you've seen the original Mad Max. No. Nope. Okay, do yourself a favor, it's playing at the drive in, a see. And it was playing, it was actually it was a double header, there was Rogue, I mean Mad Max and Duel, which was Steven Spielberg's first movie. So I went along to the drive-in. The next morning she rang me and she said, Did you go and see? I said, Yeah. She said, what do you think? Do was bloody amazing. <laughs> said, what about uh, Ah, the other one? Yeah, it was okay. Said, uh, we kind of get a different attitude when you talk to George, you might not be really impressed with that. But actually George thought it was very funny. He was very nice about it, but I didn't want to do his film. I just, for some reason, I didn't want to do Road Warrior. And when he was talking to me in Sydney, I kept saying, I don't want to do it. And George is a very determined human being. And, um, I would say, I don't want to do it. He would go, uh huh. Turn around, let me see the back of the costume. Ooh, we're going to have to put something <laughs> over there. <that>. I'm <laughs> not doing the movie. Uh huh. Yeah, I like the mobile. Maybe we should put some color in. I'm not doing the movie. Uh huh. Yeah, you know, the top of that's going to be a real problem. The, the you know, shoulder pads will have to do something with that. And finally, I went, oh, fuck it, I'll do your movie. <laughs> I mean, I was just like, impossible. He never once listened to me, not once. He had it in his mind of I was doing the movie. And I was talking to him in Japan. I was in Japan for the release of Fury Road. And um, we were at dinner just sitting down quietly. And George and I are friends. So I was chatting to him, and I said, George, seriously, why did you put me in Road You had your choice of... Anybody who wanted, Mad Max was successful in, you know, in Europe and Asia and everything, why me? He said, well, he said, I needed someone who wasn't jaded by the business, someone if I said jump off that building would go, okay, but instead of going, why? Um, And I said, okay, fine. And he said, also, someone big enough that if you're walking down a dark alley on a dark night, you ran into him, you turn around and go the other way really quickly. And I went, "Uh uh-huh, that's two. And he said, and the third one was the most important. I said, what was that? And he said, well, what I needed was when you were on screen and women saw you in that costume, they would go, I'd fucking. I went, when he got two out of three, pretty <laughs> good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about the third one, George. Um, but yeah, he he had to have that sexuality, too. He said that I had it, so that was where it all started. You know, talking about that
0: costume. Oh, I forgot, I've got my uh, Wes-inspired superhero type shirt on here. It's like a Batman, but um, i not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> the costume left very little to the imagination, but also, you when know, you're talking about studs and being willing to of jump off something, did you feel any danger having so much skin exposed in the elements or doing these studs?
1: I felt a lot of danger <laughs> a lot of things Most of it was with my reproduction <laughs> role, which I figured may never work again. It was... The one thing I figured out very quickly was, I know why women hate those horrible things that go up your butt when you got one <laughs> little piece of God damn. All I did was I spent six weeks of putting my finger back. <laughs> Seriously, it drove me insane. The chafing? Uh, yes. It was just, uh, it's actually very funny because I on my wall of my office I have a photograph. And a friend of mine went through the film frame by frame in a certain part until he found the frame he was looking for. Then he blew it up and sent it to me. And underneath it's got rid of the sky Dear Vernon, I always knew you were a ballsy actor, but did you have to show it? <laughs> oh, now everyone's gonna be sprinkled off and fuzzing and oh. And it's a picture of me in a position where everything is smooth <laughs> to one side. I mean, it's probably a mill- millimeter of a second that it was on frame with the son of a bitch found <laughs> uh, I did not even suspect He suspected that it was there somewhere. <laughs> well, he, we <laughs> feel like the costume was so. Oh, no. there's, something had to be showing sooner or later. But it was, I think.
0: The only thing that really bugged me
1: was the shoulders here that cut my neck all the time, even when they put the, uh, they had um, sheepskin on it and then they had all the feathers on it. It actually started off originally just as football shoulder pads. That was it. And we did a rehearsal and I was running around doing shit. When I came back there was blood everywhere. It had cut me so badly around my neck that I was bleeding everywhere. They uh, went, we can't, got a change. So they came up with sheepskin which they put around it and George thought that was just a little bit gay and so he decided to figure something out and they put feathers all over it which, whichever way you look at it I either look like a prima donna from a very bad um, circus act or it was a brilliant idea I pretend I to think it was a pretty good like, idea, made the costume feel amazing. It had that whole thing about it. very Japanese. I was showing someone today, I have a photograph on my desk, and I'm, i showed show it to you guys, where my eyebrows, are, you can see how George made my eyebrows go straight up Japanese style. Because he had a, a, a notion of me being a um, samurai. Very much how he, pretend the whole film was the good and the bad side of, of that. I always used to think that it was more like Shane. Remember at the end of Shane sure. the big villain comes in the town and Shane comes from the other end when they, when we come to the portraits? That's very Shane with me standing there looking, and on the other side looking, and then that whole battle. It's just, you know, he, as he said, there's only five variations of the theme. So, all movies have something of some other movie in them somewhere. So,
0: yeah, it was fun. Was the Japanese thing part of that, uh, sort of that, I don't know if that looks like a just a red sort of streak right on your chin? Uh, black.
1: Oh, black. But that's okay, I'll forgive yeah, you. Yeah, that. yeah, Oh, it's black on here. Yeah, yeah. The, the red was there. That was that's any, that's the only color in my whole costume on top of my head. Which was really cool. I loved that. just one
0: little touch of color. And the feathers made it seem more animal, which you already were, body and animals. you you? Did you get involved in doing any of the stunts or?
1: I did most of them. George would say to the stunt group, tie him up. I wanted to do everything. I was just, at that time, I was so fit and had been playing football professionally for eight years. So I was like, let me go, I'll do it. What do you want me to jump off? Ah, that's uh, my trailer. Yeah, I can do that shit. Get a horse beside (laughs) me, I'll jump on the horse online. George would have a mental breakdown. He was afraid that he would lose me before the film was over. They'd have to write me up or something. Now, there was only two stunts in the whole film that I didn't do. Everything else I did which is fun, yeah. until I got hurt, and then I realized stuntmen have a purpose. to could be used for breaking things. Yes.
0: The, uh, the film has that sort of feeling like you are doing all well of your stunts. I mean, anything could happen or go wrong, very much like Fury Road in that way. It seems yeah. like a real issue of a post. Well, that's the way he drinks.
1: Um, I got very close to George. And Byron Kennedy, who was the producer who unfortunately was killed not long after the film was finished in a helicopter accident. I used to fly everywhere with with Byron in his helicopter. Him and I got up really well, so I was always in the helicopter. And unfortunately, it was also the thing that killed him. And uh, very fortunate I wasn't in it. Um, but, I was always with George when he was in the, the editing suite for a lot of the time watching how he put the film together. And what he said was that it was like a roller coaster. That he would have the scene slowly go up to a point, and then it would rush down like the roller coaster, straight down, 90 miles an hour. And at the end of that was a brick wall. The roller coaster stops, but your brain doesn't. And I have had conversations with people who will argue with me about the fact that those people got killed smashing into the back of that truck. I go, no, actually they didn't. They didn't hit the truck. Yes, they did. Oh. <laughs> you have to get to a point where you go, did you do the epic film or did I go? Come on, seriously. But that was the way he was so brilliant, what he did, it was he could make you believe things were happening in And that's what's so scary, it's just that, it's much more dramatic
0: in your mind than actually on the screen yeah. Yeah, I mentioned to you when we spoke before, when you get in the fortress, your character is in the fortress, he headbutts that one guy and that's really ridiculous. There's a flash of light. at added, "Where watching it, you feel like
1: you're getting hit by it yourself." Yeah, it's that was that was kind of fun that scene actually. I enjoyed it. I didn't like the guy I was hit by. Oh, no. That helps. <laughs> it's nice. No, but yeah, that's that was the way he did it. It was all that that whole thing because the scene was. I mean, I pulled him into my head. We still hit each other very high, mm-hmm. just to give that whole thing with the boom and everything explodes down. It gives you that,
0: yeah, you, you have shit. Yep. You know, yes, very clever man. So, so I think. Uh, moving forward a little bit here, because your role is so iconic, you get cast in Weird Science, and you're not, we you don't, you don't explain who you are, we don't call you Wes, you're call, you don't even call anything. The cast list says you're Lord General. Mm-hmm but your costume is close enough, I'm sure because of trademark issues or something. Yeah. Was... But you made such an impression on us
1: as viewers, it was shocking to see suddenly, it was, you know, we have these crossover films now, all the universe. That was like one of our early examples of pulling the character and Michael Berryman was, you know, yeah. recognizable. Um, how is it that you came to be in weird scientist, almost antithetical to Rogue oh, yeah. I have done quote. No. <laughs> It, just my uh, agents rang me and said there's a gentleman in America who wants you to do a part in a film that's being shot. And I said, uh-huh. And she said, it's kind of a take on the Mad Max. And I said, yeah, tell him. Back him. I don't want to do it. And that was it for me. And, and it was Joel Silver, who was a pretty powerful, big time the, uh, producer. So she rang him back and said, doesn't want to do it. And he said, Alright, tell him we are giving so much money to do it, Like and she rang me up and said, They're just up the price, I said I give a shit I want to do it. Ranging back. He doesn't want to do it, don't do it. So this went on four times. And I guess in America the more you refuse, the more <laughs> I think he are negotiating because I wasn't <laughs> negotiating, I didn't want to do it. And the fourth time he offered money. she said, No, he won't come. And he said, good, we don't want him anyway. on, fuck. And about a month later he ran back and said, this is our last <laughs> for the thing. And she ran me and said, you're never going to get this much money in Australia. Get your ass on a plane and get to America. And three, oh, six weeks ago, the cast of, of the film were together at a convention. And we were talking about that, and they all cracked up. We're on with the stage. And they just start to laugh at me. What? And they went, every day Joel Silver would come on the set and go, that son of a bitch is straight out, oh who he bloody thinks he is. What is he, some fucking superstar? Every day he would come in and yell and scream about me. And they went, it was hysterical. And then you turned up. And I was like, I, I didn't want to do the film. And uh, it was yeah, I and the reason I did it was that I looked up the director, and once I did that, I saw he'd done all these kid you know, the angst movies of the, the generation, the 20 something generation. I thought this could be fun, and uh, I was actually glad I did because as you all know, John passed away, and that was one of the last films he did, so it was really nice to have worked with him.
0: And that was true. That was your first Hollywood film, right? Yeah, yeah. What was your impression of Hollywood at that point? Yeah. <laughs> was that part of your reluctance or <laughs> it was, to do it? I was a little boy
1: from, I grew up on a farm for God's sake, yeah. in the outback now of nowhere. And in America, it was just, I was staying at Universal Studios. They called it the Black Tower. It's a big, black hotel up on the hill. Just outside the universal. And I was staying there. first morning. I come down, have breakfast, get up, walk out the front door, I'm gonna to go to the set, which is down the hill beneath me. And there's this very large African-American gentleman standing and thinks it's oh Mr. Wells that yes. He said, I've got your limousine, sir. What? So I've got your limousine. And I'm thinking, I've screwed up, I must be going somewhere. Long way away. I said, "Oh, where, where are we going?" He said, "Just down to the studio." No way. <laughs> I want to walk, and he went, "Oh no, sir, we can't walk." <laughs> no, sir, I, I, I had to take you in the limo. No but it's good exercise. <laughs> oh, yeah, I really like to walk down the hill. So we came to this agreement. He drove down the hill beside me and I jogged down the hill. And then we pulled up, I got in the limo, he drove through the gate, round the corner until the studio and let me out. But at night we reversed it. He picked me up, drove through the gate, I, I jogged up the hill and drove up beside me. Or he'd get fired. He would have to have me in that car when I got to the studio. It was just so ridiculous. Did it like a sprained ankle maybe? I have all, no idea, but it was just, I was like, okay, this is going to be a weird (laughs) time. Everything to me was just so out of control. I mean, the set we had was a two-story house built inside the studio that came apart in full place so they could film inside. The um, rocket that they had that came up through the house was a real rocket, you know. (laughs) I just stood there going, seriously. You know, we used a bit of wire, bubble gum, and a lot of press to make movies, <laughs> and you beautiful got, got yeah.
0: bloody real rockets. So, yeah, it was a, a, a different thing. It's something big because Road Warrior at the time was the, had the biggest budget of any Australian film, and even by your, your, your stories now, that it still seems like maybe small compared to a comedy that was- It was, it was a a,
1: big, big, I think it was $350,000.
0: It was like, and we were all like, <laughs> yes, yeah. no, good dollars we'll million. Don't never get it back. Don't blow
1: um, it, yeah. <laughs> $150 million what? Yeah, it fine. But yeah, it was just so, so different. different.
0: I, I got used to it then. Yeah. yeah, you see. Yeah. Eventually. So yeah, but before that, you're still headed back to Australia, right? Before you get cast in Commando, which is yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger to us by that time was already becoming the big story. He had been, I think, both ponies. He hadn't at that time done an action film. That was gonna be this film. But are you still in America working and being cast at the time that you get this job?
1: No. When I was doing with science, um, Joel Silver said, I'm doing a movie with
0: Alan and I went
1: who? <coughs> and he said and I was watching a world Mr. American Mr. World. Yeah, uh huh. And he went just we'll go see the director and you, you make a great villain. I went, okay. I couldn't even pronounce his name. I used to go, I'm not sure what you what? Anyway, the director went, no, I don't want him. And I went, yeah. I didn't give a shit. I just, it didn't worry me in the least. My ego wasn't that big. So I, I went back to Australia and um, I got a call. It took a long time to find me, I was a busy boy that night, and I didn't really want to be disturbed, so I really didn't give a shit. It was Joe sort of free from America. I was like, "Now, tell him I'll ring back tomorrow, and I think so. So I got on the phone and he said, you know, I've got a ticket for you with the air, you've got two days to get your life in order and get over here. So I actually joined Commando a month after I started filming, the gentleman they the cast, whom I had no clue who was, uh, didn't work out for some reason or another. I was told why it didn't work out, but still really good. no nothing to do with it. So I got cast into the film when I came on. A very funny story about that. I, I'm not an American, so I don't have that I'm a star thing going on with me. I'm just burning from the bush. I'm a happy dude, still am. And uh, first morning, I was very tired. I'd flown in the night before, and I'd gone into makeup, they'd taken all my hair off, shaved my beard off, the whole bit, put me in a costume that really didn't fit me, and uh, put me on the set. And the first scene I did in that movie was where I hold the knife to Arnold's throat and he's tied to the table. I said, if I had my way, I wouldn't cut your throat. So I'm just sort of, through the rehearsals, I'm just trying to figure out what the I'm going to do. The way the lights are, cameras, it's all different for me. I'm trying to sort my brain out. And um, I would call Joel over and in a voice that was just a little too loud, said to Joel, this ain't gonna work. He's a big pussy, I need a man. (laughs) I'm an Australian I don't say that shit to this man. They tend to want to catch your throat for real when you do that. Anyway, we did the scene and I just went, okay, dude, if I'm a big pussy, let's see how pussy reacts. And I jumped him. And I went for it. When the scene was over, Joel Silver we'll walked over to him and he said, so well, I don't do we stop production recast or something. And he just looked at John and he went, Never give him a real knife. <laughs> that was the end of it. We became good friends. He just realized that I was a little different to everybody else. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we had a of fun. He's like a big kid in the candy store. You'd like to kick his ass, but you figure out he'd probably kick yours. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, large general. Uh, so uh, moving forward again, again, you know, Jim, I wanna point out I just realized this now yeah, you mentioned at the beginning you were a reluctant actor. And now every film, every big film, you didn't no want to, to be in it. it. Yeah, I said no to so is it. So when you're offered interspace, can we assume that you didn't want to do it? Actually, when
1: I, was, I had no clue what interspace was. I was on my way to the airport to fly home. Huh? Because I was uh, going home to shoot Portraits. Um, okay. The, the, the film in Australia, the real one. Yeah. And so so I was in the Luma, being taken to the airport. And my manager rang and said, You've got to make a detour to go and talk to uh, these people about Steven Spielberg for me. Had you heard of Steven Spielberg? Yeah, I figured I heard of Steven Hollis. And I'm like, Oh, seriously. But uh, you know, I'm going to the airport to fly home. And I said, Yeah, well, it's only going to take 10 minutes. Just go to it. And so I was like, Okay, fine. So I go to the to the audition, and with Joe Dante, who I've done three films with, um, just, and I'm in there, and I have no idea why I'm there. I'm sort of bored shootless. I just want to get in, get in the limo and go to the airport and fly home. And I uh, go in, and I said to, uh, to Joe, well, what are we doing? And he said, well, we're doing this film, called Inner Space, and this is what it's about. And I said, uh-huh. And he said, that uh, Stephen would like you to audition to lead. Uh-huh. What do I do? He said, well, that's the part that's different. <laughs> uh, OK, why? So, said, well, you don't talk. You wear sunglasses and you have a big And I just sat there looking at him going, uh, Um, okay, seems like fun, <clears throat> um, but I've got to go to Australia now, so, and he said, yep, I just wanted to talk to you, Stephen hasn't made up his mind, but, let's, okay, so I go to stand up and there was a table with a round thing on the top, and I didn't realize that most tables are not connected to the legs, they sit on so I leaned on, it to stand up, and the whole thing came straight up, and I ended up on the floor with this table on top of me. And uh, the director was standing, looking down at me, and uh, Joe, and he went, well, I've seen a lot of ways to try and get a film, but this has to be the best. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, um, and then uh, Stephen got me into the film, which was uh, fun. I, really enjoyed it and I got introduced to him on the set one day when he came in. And I did the classic of all people, bumped him, turned around and I said, oh, I'm so sorry, oh my God, Steven Spielberg, love, phone, home. <laughs> Why did I say that? Just looked at me and went, I'm never hiring. Yes, I could have said something nice.
0: How do you, did, did have, how do you
1: audition for a role
0: where you don't have any lines? It was, just, it was just on the strength of your...
1: He just wanted me because he loved Red Warrior. He's, he's a Red Warrior okay. um, and he loved it. So he had me and it was it was one of those things where I was talking to um, Stephen about it and I said, you could have got anybody to do it. I mean, I don't talk, I can't see my eyes and I got to play down. He said, yeah, but I wanted to see if you could act. So he took everything, because I, yeah. <laughs> I used my hands a lot when I talk. Yeah. And I use my voice very much when I talk and my eyes. So he took all those things off me to see if I could still do my job. <laughs> Fortunately, I could. But it could have been a real screw-up too. Um, but yeah,
0: that was the fun. Mr. Heigel, I would say is, Nearly as terrifying as Wes, with, yeah, um, it was fun. with less, yeah, less of the. I guess
1: we we had fun. so much fun because Stephen was in England filming Patrick's not Included, which was the film that he did, and so they would send all the dailies to England for him to look at with things okay. went on. And, and Joe would always do a little scene but was never going to go in the film, just to piss Stephen off. Oh. <laughs> I think we did. And there's a scene that's actually in the film, which. Wasn't supposed to be, but Stephen liked it. Um, And there's a scene where my boss, the really gorgeous blonde, is laying back on a recliner and she's on the the phone to her boss. And and, um, she's going, I know, I know, you don't like him, but you have no idea what he can do. He's just the most amazing. And as she's saying this, I come into frame. And my hand is up like that, and you can't see it. It's just slightly out of frame. And she says, "He does things to me that you wouldn't." And my hand goes, and all you hear is, like, yeah, blah, 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 and she goes, "I think you yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I'm
0: a good father, so I introduce my children to ease films as they grow up. And as they grow up, my young daughter, I still have a water show in her space I'm like, "How am I going to explain?" Did you realize uh, in, in, in the 1980s, everybody in was a fan of Australia, certainly in America, we had so many things. started with the Road Warrior, but uh, the Thornbirds, Birds, Olivia, John, men at work uh, in excess. Were you, as an Australian, uh, folks, are
1: folks in Australia aware of
0: how the love that uh, others, including America, had for your country?
1: No until
0: I actually got out and about. But
1: the funny thing about all that is, is when I came to America to do uh, the film, they actually couldn't hire me. They had to audition Americans for the role as well. So what they did was they put out a casting call for the most ridiculous thing. They made all these points in the casting call, which is near impossible for any human being to have. And then they decided that I was the only one that had them, so they hired me. But apart from that, to work here, I had to have a work permit. Guess who signed for my work permit? Mel Gibson. And I had to be a part of SAG. Guess who signed for my SAG card? Mel Gibson. And everybody hates him. And I'm one of the few people that goes, I have nothing against the guy. He did everything for me. He was just a really cool dude. And uh, so he signed up on all my stuff, so I could work here, and so I could work in Tsang, which was really cool. But uh, yeah, I found out on a tour. I don't know why I ever talk about my life. <laughs> um, we're doing a tour of the Commando, and we're flying from Los Angeles to New York, from New York to. Chile. Chicago, from Chicago back, I think, to Los Angeles. Anyway, we're in the plane, line. And there was this beautiful African-American hostess. And uh, she was in the first class there. Everybody hit on her. I mean, everyone, except me. And she rejected everybody very politely, with a beautiful put down. And of course, I just watched all this and thought, I'm not saying a word. I don't want to be crucified. So I was going to the toilet and I'm walking past the kitchen. And as I walked back, she said, Excuse me, Mr. Wells. And I said, Yeah. She said, Can I talk to you for a second? I said, yes, Of course. And I walked in. She said, You probably noticed that every time I go out into the first class, I get hit on by everybody, but not you. Are you gay? And I went, No. And she went, And I went, Sweetie, I'll watch what you do every time they hit on you. I don't want to be one of them. And she went, yeah, here's my card, bring I come to a glass out. We were together for three years before she got killed in the crash that was up in Chicago, we're gonna get married. So, uh, yeah, I learned what Americans think of Australians from her, but uh, yeah, it was kind of a, an interesting time that she was so sweet. and She was always saying to me, I've gotta get out of this, these pilots are drunk when they go on the plane, someday it's gonna be a big one. And it was, oh my the only survivor was a little girl, if I remember correctly, who was found wandering down the freeway through the crash. But it's you know, funny. what is to be is to be, and I can't change it. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that that's not terrible. It's, yeah, back then it wasn't the best, but yeah.
0: Well, uh, so at some point, because you know you've continued to work it for decades now, I think yeah. you've decided to be an actor. Can we- so no, no, just a little No. no.
1: <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I actually, the fun thing is I always loved directing, but the acting kind of helped me understand what director is. And um, I now am in partnership with uh, some people. We have a, a film studio up in Sacramento, and I'm which is really cool because I go up there and I direct. And, I act and I do my thing, Um, the acting to me is funny because I I was talking to a friend of mine who cast me a lot and I said to him one day, I said, why do you keep casting me? And he said, well, you finally grew up. And the funny thing was I thought he would be facetious at the time. And then I thought about it and it was actually, he was right. I'd always been this flighty kid that got everything too soon, too quick. I had no clue what to do with it. I became an alcoholic. I was a junkie, and I tried to kill myself in my cold at least five times, one of them being after the accident. Um, and every time, I was pulled up by something or somebody. And the worst time was I walked into my um, uh, manager's office, and she had a bullet on the wall behind her. That was all the buy, that was all the money symbols and things. I actually thought it was um, one of those things that you guys do for the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. You know, right. decide which team's going to win, right. how much, and all this shit. And I was talking to her and I said, So which team do you think will win? And she said, What? I said, The board behind you is that for the Super Bowl. And she said, No, that's the staff for just deciding when you're going to die. That woke me
0: up. Did she intend this to be a wake-up call to you by making it so... Yep. She knew sooner or later I'd see it and ask a question. She'd tell me that it would either make me smarter or I wouldn't give a shit. And
1: it woke me up. I just changed virtually overnight. got into the Corvette, got a normal car. Just went on and started acting and doing my job. And that's when everything changed. I started to get a lot more work. people started to actually like working with me. Before that, I was an asshole. I'm the first one to admit it, I really was. Um, but uh, my grandfather always used to say, we have a destiny, we follow that destiny, and if it is the destiny you should have, you will be brought back to it, no matter what you do. And that was my case, that every time I went somewhere to do something because I hated what I was doing, I came back. And then I was very fortunate about uh, 30 years ago, I, by accident, met this um, American Japanese lady who's a Buddhist. We've been married now for 30 years, and that changed everything. Made me totally relaxed, because I'm Buddhist in my own way, would I say. I'm probably the worst Buddhist Buddha ever created, um, but I follow Buddhism for one reason, that it's not a religion. The way of life, it's just how you are, what you do, how you treat people, how you respect everything around you and that's me, that's what I, how I was brought up on the farm, to respect nature, to respect what we were and it's just going back to my roots. And it took me a long time, believe me, I was lost in the wilderness, as they say for quite a while and a lot of things happened that shaped me and um, Made me realize who I am and how grateful I should be for everything I have. my that I'm grateful for people like you that like what I do, even you, you ask, um, who uh, like what I do and watch it, come to see me, talk to me, and it's what it's all about as far as I'm concerned. I, I don't have a, a superstar or a star thing in my body. I really you know, every time I win an award, I'm the one that goes, why? Because I'm doing my job. I don't see that there's, it doesn't cool. but it doesn't go into my brain and make me go, ooh, it, it goes into my brain and makes me go, that's weird. You know, uh, I appreciate it. Don't get me wrong. Okay. <laughs> so I have four statues in my garden to scare off the birds on <laughs> my head because every time they do it, uh, Whole big thing they make a bloody model of my head so I and they always give it to me for some reason so I take it and put it in the garden the growing out of them. Two of my statuettes are sitting opening doors. I seriously I don't know what to do with them. Um, so it's like will nah, hold the door open. But I'm uh, very grateful for what I get for who I am and for what I do and I love and adore Being an actor, being a director it's just, uh, to me it's, I don't know, it's what I am. Somebody said to me, uh, I wouldn't, believe it or not, I'm coming back here in two weeks to film, not this part, Cincinnati. There's a company in Cincinnati that hired me four years ago to do a film, and they've hired me for every film they've done since. They just love working with me. And I'm flying back in two weeks to Cincinnati to start filming on another film up there. It, and their films are not me playing murderous clowns, I play a father, a doctor. Well, the last one I was a bit of an asshole. I play the next husband who was real shit. In this one, I'm playing a director. So, I've graduated from being a world-class yoo to being a granddad, a father, a priest. I just finished doing a movie where I play a, um, a defrocked priest who has to get involved in an exorcism with one of his ex-students, uh, which is just the most amazing film. It's a horror film. Totally, but it's just such a beautifully done film. Uh, I get to play the hero, basically, of the whole thing. So it's come full circle. (laughs) Don't don't worry, I still get cast to be the asshole in (laughs) terms. But plus, I also temper that with the fact that I get cast to be the wrong person, doing fun things, which is really cool. And then at the end of the day, I get to go home and kick my dog yeah, well, my Be
0: yourself. Yeah. Well, Vernon, we are so grateful for all of that you've given us, certainly early in your career and since. So glad that you know you found your way back to that path and that you're safe, healthy, and still working today. Ugh. Let's thank a Vernon. I always finish these things because I
1: put Buddhist. I always really finish these things in my own way, and that is. Seriously, I'm eternally grateful to everybody who likes what I do, period. But it's from my heart to your heart. May everything that you want, everything that you treasure, always be obtainable and be there for you. May you never want it for anything. Love, kindness, all should be shared and found and developed. And that's my philosophy on life, that I love everybody. I love the world we live in, and I love what we do as human beings here in America. We have a long way to go, by the way, but we're getting there. And that's my thing. Thank you so much. God bless. Thanks,